Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So we've been uh, in a series on um, meant for more, and we've been going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and last week Tom shared with us on what it means to have the story of God unfold in our kids in parenting. And the week before, we talked about how does the story of God unfold in our marriages. And this week, we're going to talk about our workplace. How does the story of God unfold in our workplace? And before I get started, I, I just wanted to pray Real quick, and I know we invited God's presence, and it's sort of like, okay, now we pray, now we don't, now we pray, now we don't. But I really just felt like we need to invite God's presence. We invited Him with our worship, and so, Father, we just pray that Your Your presence would come, that there'd be a strong sense of purpose and and Your intention here this morning. Jesus, would You come and encourage our hearts this morning? Would You let us see Your activity in? and through our hearts at our workplaces. Would you come and um, encourage broken hearts and restore and, and show yourself, yourself faithful. We love you, Jesus, and we, we trust you, and we know that you're walking the roads this morning, and you're seeking us. Before we ever sought you out, God, you, you are seeking us out, and we respond to you today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. So Tim Keller is a pastor at Redeemer Church in Manhattan in New York City. And he says this about work. He says, we're continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. And that's what we're about at Vineyard Cleveland. We're um, in this thing to shift culture. We believe that when Jesus entered our, our story, that he invited us into his, and that we didn't just say a sinner's prayer, but that we are, yes, indeed, out to shift the culture of the city of Cleveland. We're out to um, we're, we're tired of giving our vote to a decaying society. We believe that the culture we carry inside of our hearts is um, powerful enough to shift the culture around us. And for a, for, uh, for a lot of us in the room this morning, a huge part of that story unfolds at our workplaces because that's... Uh, in quantity, that's where we spend the majority of our time, is at work. Now, I ran into a gentleman who was on his way out from the first service, and he said, when you, when you said that you were talking about work this morning, I said, whew, I'm safe, because he's retired. He's like, he's not going to touch on anything here. So, but for the better part of us in, in the room, um, a huge part of our time is spent at work. So we're getting at that question of how does the story of God unfold in our workplaces? How do we, how do we um, live in that? And we're going to be in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. I felt so guilty this morning. I didn't bring my Bible to church. 
And I was like, how can I encourage people of Vineyard Cleveland to bring their Bibles when the pastor doesn't even bring their Bible? And then Dan Schultz, he, uh, he just spoke so much freedom to my heart this morning. He was like, well, you have your phone, don't you? You always tell people to swipe there. Just use your phone. And I was like, Dan, you just released me from so much guilt. That was great. So I'm using my phone. So um, we read this in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Slaves, some of you are like, man, he's really nailed my workplace right off the bat. It's like, that's what my boss says to me every Monday morning when I walk into work. Good morning, slave. (laughs) Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Amen. So for most people, God transforming the story of their days is not connected with their workplace at all. It's quite the opposite. We tend to believe that we need some sort of like hardcore belief or it's like the missionary going to do the, the big thing for God that's the story of God unfolding on planet Earth. But at Vineyard Cleveland, we don't believe that. We believe that it's in everyday, ordinary, mundane moments that the story of God unfolds. And the better part of our week is lived. See, the story of God needs to be lived out where life is lived. And for the majority of us, the better part of our life is lived out in an office or at a hair salon or at a mechanic shop or where have you, at a university, wherever you find yourself employed. So another way to put this is that your work is the real kingdom work. Your work is the real kingdom work. At Vineyard Cleveland, we want people to recognize that it's about filling everything everywhere. Filling everything everywhere. And that includes our workplace. Your job is your kingdom ministry. A lot of people spend too much time asking God what his will is and what his calling is. And Jesus is like, did you show up to work this morning? Well, there's your ministry. Your kingdom ministry is God, God, show me your calling. I'm spending 14 hours on my knees, crying out, I'm fasting. All these spiritual things, these religious things, please tell me what your, your calling is for my life. He's like, I want you to show faithfulness and pick up the phone on Monday morning at your job and obey your boss. How good is that? Because, see, the kingdom of God is like yeast, and it works itself in Uh, to the fabric of culture in that way. We'll talk about that more and how how that happens, how Jesus does this in a little bit. bit. But your job is your kingdom ministry. That's how God shows up. 
You don't leave work in order to find God. You find God in work. Your workplace is a place of his presence. It's not a place of his absence. And Paul was amazing, wasn't he? He's he's writing us this letter. He's writing the church at Ephesus this letter. And Paul is amazing, and he's got a good handle on this because Paul might have been this like amazing church planter guy, but Paul was also a tent maker. And Paul made really amazing tents. I think if Paul were here today, he would stand up and he said, oh my gosh, you guys kept the letters and you didn't keep the tents? The tents were amazing and you guys are just looking over the letters? I wonder, have you ever thought about how many people or how many hearts were shifted as Paul was simply making tents? I wonder, I bet, I bet you, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were, I'd be willing to wager that Paul probably drew just as many or more people to the person and cause and mission of Christ through ordinary conversations while he was making tents than he did planting churches. I guarantee you that. This text proves it. This text shows that there's this, he's comfortable in both. He's comfortable with both. He's comfortable with the kingdom of God showing up in power and healing the sick and raising the dead and this, but he's comfortable in making tents. He's, real, he's really good at it too. He's really good at making tents. Paul understood that the story of God has to be lived out where life is lived. And a huge part of that is the workplace. So at Vineyard Cleveland, what we're saying is that kingdom carriers create kingdom atmospheres. When you, when you sign up, sign up, like it's like a volunteer thing. When you give your life to Jesus, we're fond of saying this here. When you give your life to Jesus, it's not simply an accessory like a watch, an eye watch that you put on your wrist to help you see your messages better from your text phone, from your phone, Right? Jesus is not like an iPhone. Jesus becomes your life. You don't just add him on as an accessory. And so in that, there's a filling that happens in our hearts, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You say yes to Jesus, and he moves into your life. He says, I'm not just like, there for you to like turn on and off like a light switch when you leave the church on a Sunday afternoon. You can't just shut the presence of God on and off. You carry the living presence of God with you wherever you go. Kingdom carriers create kingdom atmospheres wherever you go. Remember we, we used to say that we are like little Olafs from Frozen the movie, and that we carry the climate of the kingdom wherever we go, our own personal flurry. And we go everywhere and just create kingdom environments. That's what kingdom carriers do. By all of the amazing things that they do? No, simply out of who they are. They are. You are the effervescence of Christ, the, the freshness, the solution that you're your, your boss is looking for the answer to prayer. You are that. You carry that inside of you if you claim Jesus. 
But there's been a distortion of work. And Paul addresses this right from the start. He says, slaves, obey your masters. The sheer use of the word slaves reminds us that our idea or perspective of work has been distorted. You see where I'm going there? Something is broken, and Paul is speaking into it. Something that God designed to release creativity, discovery, and beauty. It's now suffered distortion and has caused us to view the workplace as a place of earning and not a place of learning. It wasn't ever designed to be a place of income. You didn't... Hello? Work, work wasn't originally designed for you to pick up a paycheck. It's not about what, it wasn't about like what you receive from work, but it's about who you became through work. That was God's intention. But the original design has undergone distortion. And it's so distorted. And it's been re-emphasized year after year, culture through culture, through, through the fall. It's been so distorted through um, exploitation and manipulation and intimidation and reinforced, reinforced, that Paul starts this passage off with slaves to the point it's so distorted Work is so, our idea of work is so distorted that we've gotten to a place where we believe that we can own someone else. Do you see the distortion of something that was created to be beautiful and release creativity in us and through us has been so distorted to the point of where we believe we can own someone else? And what Paul is saying here when he says, slaves, obey your masters, he's not giving it a pass. He's not saying, hey, hurrah for slavery. That's not what Paul is saying here. But what he's doing is he's recognizing the culture that's in play, and he's speaking a different story into that culture. And we'll see how that unfolds in a second. He's speaking, a, he's speaking God's story in that by the way that we live as followers of Jesus. The distortion, it's caused words like generosity and discovery to be lost and replaced by words like profitability and productivity. There should be certain words that come to our minds as we think about work, but sadly, generosity and discovery aren't that. It reminds me of that scene from the movie Elf. Elf fans, anybody? Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Uh, you know the scene when they're talking about, I'll probably butcher this. You know this scene when they're talking about work? Um, Michael is talking with his dad who's on the naughty list. And he's talking with Buddy and um, I think, I believe his dad is in the scene too. And Buddy like loves his job. He loves it. He was born to be an elf. And the funny thing is that he's not. He's human. But he loves making toys and eating the, what are the, what are the major food groups? Candy, candy corn, candy canes, syrup. 
just loves, he just loves life, yes? And he loves making toys. And he loves work. He loves working on toys. And um, he's, and he's like, don't you love work? And Michael's, Michael's like, he says of his father, not the way he does it. And then he tells his dad, you only care about yourself, but Buddy cares about everybody. You remember that scene? Not the way you do it. I was just thinking about this, that this week, which is funny because it's like almost summer. It's not even near Christmas. I haven't seen Elf in like a while. But I was thinking about, man, I don't want to be like that in my work where it becomes about picking up a paycheck rather than discovering who I am or who God's shaping me to be in the process. I'm going to be more like Buddy and less like the dad on the naughty list in my workplace. But this is tough for us to believe that work is more about discovery and creativity than for, for what it's, it feels like a lot of times, which is the daily grind. You know, there's this tension between the dream, there's the dream, and then there's like going to Monday and picking up the phone again and dealing with that customer who's annoying as all get out. Because it makes you question, why am I even here? To be yelled at over the phone? Like, really? That's my purpose? So there's discovery, and then there's the daily grind. And this is why Paul says, obey your masters as you are slaves of Christ. Serve the Lord. Moving from the place, like, we want to get our hearts around the truth. We, we want to move from the place of our workplace as a place where we derive income to the place where I inscribe my story. Where I come alive and bring life to it. Where I usher in creativity to my boss. Where I become an asset and I add value to the company that I'm a part of. And this is a tough word to hear because many of us live with hostile scenery. There's tension at work. There's interpersonal tension. There's mechanical tension. Stuff's not working right. Positional tension. We don't like where we are in the structure. And oftentimes when we have hostile scenery, many of us think that by changing the scenery, it'll make all the difference, which is incorrect thinking. He said, that's really good, like, that work is supposed to be about um, creativity and discovery and generosity. That's really idealistic of you, Evan. And that'd be really great for me. Just get me a new job. Like, (laughs) problem solved. Like, if I had a new job, then everything would get better. But I think what Jesus would be saying to us in a lot of these situations, not all of them, I don't think it's across the board. I think there are times where Jesus will bring you to a place of, because it's happened in my life before, will bring you to a place of like, this season is coming to an end, and there's a little bit of jostling there to 
to nudge you gently into what he has for you next. But I'm talking about like the escape hatch, you know, pressing the escape hatch button. Like, okay, I'm done. One more performance review by my boss. I'm out of here. This is ridiculous, right? That it's the pressing of the escape hatch that I'm getting at because hostility isn't always a bad thing. And this requires us to change our thinking too. Hostility is not always a bad thing because hostility oftentimes is the place that ushers in ingenuity. Hostility is oftentimes a breeding ground for problem solving. If there's not like tension there, a lot of times problems don't get solved. The story of God grows through obedience. So how, yeah, how does this happen then? How, how does the story of God unfold in our workplace? The story of God grows through obedience. And all the rebels in the room, I'm R, I said this morning, I'm RA. I'm, this is like Rebels Anonymous. <laughs> I'm a rebel in recovery. You see, because um, this is the vehicle that Jesus has chosen the kingdom of God to advance through obedience. And all of the rebels in the room are like, thanks a lot, God. You really blew it on that one. Because every other message in this world, at least for us red-blooded Americans, who like to think of ourselves as self-made men and women and salmon swimming up the current, that's who we are. Everybody else, they're, they're ants marching, Dave Matthews, but I, I, I am going my own way. Yeah, you are. You're such a unique flower. But <laughs> seriously, we do. We think of ourselves that way. And we're like, God, why did you choose obedience as the vehicle for the kingdom to advance? It's so stupid. Really, I have to do that? And I don't, and I don't, it's not that I have to, I get to. I get to. That's a toughie for a rebel in recovery. Because I'm like, I'm like maybe you in a lot of ways. I, you know, I confess that I, who knows this one? Like your boss tells you to do something. They're like, hey, I need those TPS reports by like Friday at 830 I think I've used like 20 movie references already in analogies. I need those TPS reports by Friday at 9.30. And you're like, yes, sir. I'd love to have those for you. That'd be awesome. And in your heart, you're like, if you tell me one more time to do something, I will walk out of here. You are ridiculous. And you're, and you're complaining. Why, uh, why, do I, why do you have to send me on this two-day training? I hate it. Uh, this is the worst. And on the outside, you're like, oh, I'd love to do that for you. That'd be awesome. Who does that one? <laughs> Who knows that one? It's like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'd love to do that. So the obedience, but the truth is, is that obedience rewrites the story of your company. Obedience will rewrite the story of your company. The Greek in the New Testament for the word obey. 
The Greek translation for the word obey, it's do what your boss tells you to do. (laughs) You like that one? It's really deep theological. Do what your boss tells you to do. Do what your boss tells you to do. In that, let me tell you something. There is, there is something of God's smile and his heart that you receive as you learn how to do what your boss tells you to do. That you couldn't get if you say no or if you say yes, sir, with the smile on your face. And inwardly, your heart is like saying, no, 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 no. Do what your boss tells you to do. Because Paul is saying you owe it to God. First and foremost, you owe it to God to give your boss your best. Paul is saying that we're to, as followers of Jesus, we're to willingly, such a key word, We are to willingly embrace the authority that he's put in our lives. Willingly embrace the authority that's in your life. Because that person, Jesus, has put that person in your life for your good. You're like, you don't know my boss. (laughs) Jesus, I don't know who put him there. It wasn't Jesus. Let's get that straight. Jesus did not. It was some other clown who put this clown. (laughs) No, it wasn't a clown who put that person in, in authority over your life. It was Jesus. The scriptures say that there's no authority on earth that Jesus didn't like place. He placed that in your life to make you more like himself. And as you learn to come under, as you learn to serve, we'll get to that in a second, and do what your boss tells you to do and love it, I'm telling you, for those of you who know submission, I'm telling you, you start to receive God's pleasure from doing what your boss tells you to do. I'm not type A by nature in very general terms. I'm more of a dreamer guy. Sarah is very much, we're not going to down the do what your boss tells you to do with Sarah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm very not that. And through, when Sarah and I lived in Augusta, he gave me a boss who is very much type A and very driven. That's not to say that I'm not driven in that sense. But there is something of God's um, peace and his pleasure that came over my life and his favor that I learned in Augusta that I couldn't have learned from anybody else. In my story, God gave me my boss tailor-made for me to make me more like himself. Jesus is so kind like that. So kind like that. Because submission attracts the divine favor you're seeking. 
Submission attracts divine favor into your life. Paul says the Lord Jesus, Jesus himself will reward you. And the text says the Lord will reward you after you die in a later life. No, the text does not say that. The, the text says the Lord will reward you in this life. If he said, if, if God would have meant that the Lord will reward you after you die for submitting to your boss, the text would say the Lord will reward you after you die. But the text does not say that. The Lord will reward you very much in the present for how you submit to authority because the truth is, is that you'll only be allowed as much authority as you're willing to submit yourself under. Let's let that one settle for a minute. In the kingdom, this is the way it works. It's paradoxical. You'll only be allowed as much authority as you're willing to submit yourself under. Because how does the kingdom move forward? Through obedience. How did Jesus, we just sang it, how did Jesus conquer death? He dominated the crap out of the other team. No. He went to a tree and he wasn't a victim. (gasps) He willingly gave himself. God came down and submitted himself under human authority to die a bloody death on the tree, modeling submission for us. No other God in history, no other God submitted themselves to humans. Humans submit themselves to God. That's what we do. If we're good religious people for thousands of years, we submit ourselves, submit ourselves in hopes that the deity or whoever we're worshiping will just take notice of us and a little favor will, will like sprinkle off of them and onto us. Not with Jesus. Jesus comes down to earth, humbles himself, submits himself under people. Quite possibly the dumbest creatures that God ever created, we are. And he submits himself to that, to us, and puts his fate in our hands. And of course, what do we do? Crucify him. String him up. And the way that the kingdom comes is not through domination. The victory comes in giving himself up and then raising back to life in three days. Do you see? There's the model, submitting to our boss. He submits himself. He's hung on a tree. He gives himself up. The seed goes down. He's buried. And what happens? Favor. He's brought back up to life, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. All from do what your boss tells you to do. <laughs> so what does that mean? That means that we're going to need to embrace heart change. Because for the better part of the room, I'm guessing that to obey is not our default. It means that um, we're not just to look good when their eye is on us. Don't just look good when their eye is on you, but from your heart, from the inside out. Not just a gesture, but it's who you are. It's who you are. Because people are watching you at work. Sometimes you can get away with this in a bigger city. But people are watching you at work. And they're asking, do the Christians I know do what they believe? Are you releasing the life of God 
If not, folks will say there's nothing to this story. I don't want anything to do with it. You see, because discipleship is not formed in churches. Discipleship is not about evangelism 101, evangelism 102. Invite people, invite people to church. Invite, invite, invite to church courses. You could go to all of Tom's Alpha classes. You could go to all the Healing on the Streets training. You could go to, uh, you know, 50 ways to pass out bottled water. But that's not where discipleship is formed. It's not formed in classrooms or in courses. It's formed on Monday morning when you interact with your coworker. That's where discipleship is formed. When you stroll up to your cubicle, when you go to your auto mechanic shop, when you put your scrubs on to work at the clinic, discipleship is formed as you obey at work. So how do we move beyond gesture And how do we move beyond asking God to do what he wants us to do? (laughs) Because we want outpouring. We want God, break into my workplace. Show up at my church. Show up in my community. God, we pray for revival. Would you send it? Would you heal people? And God is like, that's what you're here for. That's why you're here. We want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he's looking for an outpouring of us at our workplaces. And why do we do this? Why do we, say, why do, why do we pray to God for revival? We don't want revival at Vineyard Cleveland. We want legacy. We feel like revival is too low of a goal. It's way too low of a goal. We're after city transformation and legacy and something to pass down to our grandkids. Revivals end. They're ridiculous. Come to church for 14 nights in a row while the city is perishing. (laughs) And they end. Remember that time long ago when God was really close to us? Now, I'm not discounting the fact of times of, of visitation. I know this. Yes. But we're after something greater at Vineyard Cleveland. We believe something greater for the city of Cleveland. But we settle for the praying, for, pray for revival. And if I just stir up enough faith and God break into my situation, break into my workplace, and we do this because it's easier. We do it because we're lazy. We do it because it's easier to pray for God to break out in our city, in our workplace, than it is to obey our boss. It's way easier for you I've got three fingers pointing back at me. It's way easier for you and me to fold our hands in our nice little prayer closet and say, dear Lord, would you break out in the city of Cleveland? Oh, please, Lord, would you do it? Would you break out at my workplace and just, you know, give my boss good ideas and let him not be too tough on me and all of that? It's easier to do that than it is to obey It just is. And so we do it. But the kingdom doesn't advance through outpouring. It advances through obedience. And that's a long road. And we need to be comfortable with both. We need to be comfortable with God breaking in. Times of visitation. The Lord healed my coworker's headache. I prayed for, I prayed for my coworker's head. And Jesus showed up and the headache went away. 
We need to be comfortable with both, but also the showing faithfulness and showing up. Okay, serving changes the atmosphere of your work. Ephesians 6, 7, serve wholeheartedly as uh, if you were serving the Lord, not people. And so what we're saying here is that, what Paul is saying here is that followers of Jesus maintain an attitude of joyous servitude. The goal, that's it. And the Greek for this wholeheartedly is like being eager to serve. That's the end, being, being eager to serve. But the distortion in work is that we work in order to get something out of it. What's my work bringing to me? And we know this because if you stop paying most people, they would quit their jobs. How many people, well, I don't want to poll. I don't want to survey. That might be a little bit too close. (laughs) But if you would cease to pay people, they would stop going to work. And that's how we know that there's been distortion of through the fall that we're working to receive something rather than working to discover who we are becoming. And it's funny because we teach people the opposite at church. We're like, hey, come and contribute to our church. Come and give. When you come to church, give. You should totally give. But we teach them the exact opposite when they go to work. We teach them to be contributors at church and consumers at work. It's about picking up a paycheck at, at work, but it's about giving at church. How, how, you know what that's called? Hypocrisy. That's called hypocrisy. If it's, if it's about giving here, it's about giving there. I can't separate the two in my heart. Serving wholeheartedly, working for the good of the company. You don't know my company. Most people work for the good of their paycheck, but as believers, our goal is to serve wholeheartedly, and pay is just the icing on the cake. We get to release our boss's purpose through creativity. We get to hold nothing back. We get to do everything with excellence. Do you guys know the Shakers? They're this utopian community. In Ohio, actually. You can go to Zor Village and see some of them. Well, not actual remnants. So the Shakers made really, really great furniture. And some of the Shakers' furniture pieces are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they had this, the Shakers had this little saying, this little mantra that they used to say. They would say, hands to work, hearts to God. And in it, there's no separation of the sacred and the secular. God is in their work, in their craftsmanship, and they're creating these pieces that are still sold at auction today for like thousands of dollars. They're serving wholeheartedly. They bring their best. Doesn't Paul say that whatever you do, whatever you put your hand to, in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it with excellence. The sacred and the secular belong together. Everything, everywhere. Get a mentor. Find the best. The Lord will reward you. And when he adds to your company, he adds to you. And lastly, I'll just close with this, that we, 
as followers of Jesus, we add value to the place of our work. Anyone can speak the language of complaint. Anyone can do it. It's not a skill that you have to study to acquire. You don't have to go to university to study what, how to be a complainer. You don't have to take master's courses on how to complain. Anybody can do it. Anybody who has a mouth and can speak can complain. But people don't, people don't get promoted for problems they identify. People get promoted for the problems that they solve. Have you ever noticed at your workplace the people who get promoted are not the people who are able to identify a problem. They're the people who know how to solve problems. When, you're, when you identify a problem to your boss and your boss is like, hey, thanks for bringing that to my attention, do you think that they're really saying thank you to you? <laughs> they're not thanking you for identifying a problem. You know what they're really saying? I pay you, to, what are you doing right now? I pay you to solve problems for this corporation or this company and you're just identifying another problem to me. Why are you on Monday morning? So when your boss says thank you for pointing out a problem, they're not really thanking you for that. But when you solve problems, it's not a gift to identify problems to your boss. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) That is not a problem. That is not a gift. The gift is when you become a problem solver at your work. When you add value to your work. That's when you become an asset. That's when you become irreplaceable to your boss. When you know how to solve problems rather than just identify them. Anybody can do it. (laughs) My department's in trouble again. Thanks for letting me know that. I really appreciate you. (laughs) This is sinking in. Reward comes according to solutions and viewing problems as opportunities. And for that, insight is required. And you have it. You carry it. We say at Vineyard Cleveland, you, you carry heavenly solutions to earthly problems. So you have the inside track on insight. And so we're constantly asking the question, what is the better future? As followers of Jesus at our work, we're asking, what is the better future? What's the better future that Jesus has for us? 